Coming to you live from Austin, Texas and the Queen City in North Carolina, this is the Good Faith Podcast for the month of August 2021. This month, only flans... Fuck it. <laughs> so bad. Oh no. <laughs> Just roll with it. Just roll with it. It's fine. OnlyFans launches its proprietary altcoin, Bonkcoin. The bizarre romantic correspondence of Donald J. Trump exhibit opens this week at the Pyongyang's Museum of the Korean Peoples. Brad Parscale keeps bilking political campaigns. Mayoflation hits North Carolina. Enjoyers of tomato sandwiches are on life support. New Hampshire libertarians have a solution to all of your problems. Let's repeal the Civil Rights Act. And Cuomosexuals are all canceled. Full stop. This month, Carl and I are joined by Connor Fletcher, our good faith friend from north of the border. Connor is the watchman of all things Grifter related and was the co-host of the wildly entertaining Grifter Report, R.I.P. This month, we were able to drag Connor away from his wonderful life to commiserate about all manner of grifts from your favorite infamous social media wackos this month. Connor, welcome. Glad to be on the, on the show, boys. <laughs> it's good to have you here. It's good to have an expert on all things crypto related to remind us of all the wonderful things that have happened in August with all of your favorite grifters. My liver thanks you. <laughs> A toast to you right now, my friend. <laughs> so, you're an expert on grifters, Connor. You've seen the worst of the worst, or arguably the best of the best. So, in August, what are some big hits that have happened that, uh, to our favorite people across social media? And, I mean, and I, think my, yeah. I, I think my favorite one um, is, you know, as much as like Candace Owens becoming a Taliban stan is kind of, um, it, it's entertaining. My favorite one is just like Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman and the FCC slapping them possibly with a with a pretty substantial fine like that to me it just it makes my heart so happy that he's out there living his best life am i allowed to swear on this podcast oh yes uh, yeah oh yeah because because okay so wall and berkman are big fucked <laughs> do you want to take I'm us a... through the saga that led up to the fcc fine so i mean i mean look so walls had some like legal issues before um with securities fraud potentially or allegedly and like he's not i I don't think he's allowed to trade securities in arizona anymore um but this 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 latest one is him and berkman did a whole bunch of robocalls leading up to the 2020 election uh i think it was like eighty five thousand robocalls so it was a not insignificant number of people um and there's now they're now facing a number of felony charges um in in Michigan, Ohio, and there's a civil suit in the in New York. So there's they're in some trouble. <laughs> and these were designed to influence the 2020 election, and now they're being charged with arguably big boy crimes. So allegedly, they were to influence the election. They're claiming it was like a free speech thing. Um, mm. It probably wasn't. Um, <laughs> But now, yeah, so now they're getting some felonies. Um, there, there's a civil suit in uh, New York uh, that was filed by, and I want to get this right, it was filed by um, the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation um, for violating the Voting Rights Act and the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Oh, my God. Ooh. When you have to reach back and, you, and you're violating acts from a previous century or possibly two centuries ago, that's... 
that sounds pretty serious. Yeah, generally speaking, of the fe- I'm, I mean, look, I'm not American, um, but I would imagine that the federal statutes that you do not want to violate um, are like the Ku Klux Klan Act and the Voting Rights Act are probably up there in terms of what you don't want to be violating. Oh, no. <laughs> so they were involved in these shenanigans in the 2020 election. And so that led up to the FCC's decision. So now they're being slapped with several... Uh, large fines, which totaled to several million dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I don't think the FCC, the FCC, the, the fine was like a proposed fine. So like it could be, it could change. But yeah, so like one of them is like $5 million. I think the New York Attorney General has also filed um, a suit uh, because they, when they, so they, their, their office reviewed like email, like they reviewed a whole bunch of documents and basically found out that the robocalls that went to New York were in areas of high populations of African American voters. Um, so if this lawsuit's successful, they're like that's like two point two and like two point seven million dollars in fines from that. The FCC is proposing five point one million dollars in fines. So I think suffice to say, Jacob Wall needs to really up his OnlyFans game. <laughs> because he's going to need to find a way to pay for at least half of these fines, and like, or he's, you know, I guess Berkman's on the ha- on the hook for the other half. Well, there you go. So, what are subscriptions for Jacob Wall's OnlyFans going for? Is it like, uh, I think he's charging fifty a month. It's fifty a month or so. What's yeah, which is on the high end for OnlyFans, and apparently he does not show his dick. He's still at fifty a month with. He's still at fifty a month, yeah, and he's not showing his dick. So I mean, like that's a wild overpay, in my opinion. So he needs about fifty thousand, according to this. If he's going to be a fine of two point five million, he needs about fifty thousand user months worth of payments in order to cover that fine. So we're just going to have to see how fast he's going to bankroll this. The last I saw, I think he he for before he got banned from Instagram, uh, he, he was actually. <laughs> He was sharing um, his number of subscriptions, and I think he had like over four hundred. So, like four hundred, you know, subscribers at fifty dollars a pop is like twenty thousand dollars a month. Yeah, so which he like just, isn't terrible. Well, what he needs is that he needs all of those people to uh, subscribe for approximately one hundred and twenty-five months, and he'll be good. Yeah, easy, no problem. Easy. So it's just you know, if he he can easily pay for the fines in ten point four years. Yeah, not a problem. I'm sure the government will be fine with a payment plan. <laughs> I'm sure there's like payment plan and or prison. And do any prison. of these do any of these uh, violations involve potential prison sentence terms? Uh, the Michigan felonies, I want to. I, I could be getting the numbers wrong, but I think they could face up to like 24 years. Ohio felonies, I think, are up to 18 years. So. <laughs> Obviously, there's you know, depending on sentencing guidelines. And again, I'm not American, so I have no idea how any of that is going to work and specifics of it. But they could be facing some jail time. Like they might need an actual lawyer. <laughs> oh man! So that's Wall and Berkman. We're up with their up with their big crimes. Our life advice from the Good Faith Podcast: Don't commit felonies. Try not to. Uh, falsify information about elections you may get in trouble for that don't don't try to run your own robocall scheme in fact please stop robocalling me so please. absolutely if, so with you that do, in mind, if you are going to robocall though just don't identify yourself in the robocall 
Oh, that would also be useful too. Because they, right. did, they, they did they did identify. identify. Yeah. <laughs> it was like this is Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman of the project nineteen fifty five or fifteen ninety-nine. <laughs> I'm going to lay out the various elements of this robocall scheme meant to and meant to intimidate voters and dissuade them from voting in the ele- upcoming election. <laughs> like it was not good. Oh man. Any did did we all did any of us figure out why they called it Project fifteen ninety nine? It was Berkman's address because they because oh. their initial shtick was they would have press conferences on Berkman's driveway of his like DC townhouse. Oh yeah, was that the one where they did the whole Elizabeth Warren's shtick? Did they, yeah, was that, that was one of them? That was Man, one of them. That was from ages. That feels like ages ago. It, that was, yeah. So that was, they had the Pete Buttigieg one. They tried to smear Robert Mueller at like the Holiday Inn. Um, didn't they Kamala have like Harris. A, didn't they not check the trash pickup schedule and they had the trash truck drive by the street picking up bins during one of I them? I think that was the first one. Yeah, I can't remember which specific one that was, <laughs> but that was like the first one, like, a, like a, a garbage truck drove by. And then at that point, it just turned like, People just like a guy showed up with like bagpipes at like one of them. Like it turned into a whole ordeal, and like the homeowners association. And like, look, like I'm not a huge fan of homeowners associations, obviously, because they're just a bunch of rent-seeking bastards. But (laughs) in this one instance, the homeowners association kind of slapped them because it just turned into just debauchery in front of his house like once a month, and it was obviously not okay. I wonder what compels people to. Uh, for the revelation of a political scandal to be like, you know what? You know what this you know what this conference needs? Bagpipes. Just like just straight up, I'm gonna choose a musical instrument to go along with this with this conspiracy and it and it will not succeed. Like this press conference will not be successful without bagpipes playing at their highest tune. Oh no, it wasn't them playing bagpipes. It was like people showing up to this thing to troll Wall and Berkman with bagpipes. <laughs> And there's like a guy in like a in a in a banana costume. Like the, 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 if you like, I think you can find the live stream somewhere on Twitter, and they're very entertaining. Oh, perfect, Morgan. We need to invite these people on the podcast. Who? Wallen Berkman? No, the banana oh. guy and the bagpipe guy. Okay. Who? I, saying, I do I, have I I do have Jacob Wall's email address if you want it. Jacob Wall, if you're interested, you can not come on the podcast, please. Invite <laughs> him before you, he's in jail. Uh, we could invite him before he's in jail. Although we could, it, it could be like Anna Delvey and he could just, no, no, he can't Instagram from jail because he's banned from Instagram. <laughs> oh, what what a treat. Those two are delightful. It's it's all the worst forms. I was about to say Statler and Waldorf, but it's like Statler and Waldorf would never go to prison. I don't think they would ever violate something called the KKK Act. No. That, they 1871. Wouldn't. Yes. Big key. Big key. Okay. Big key. Yeah. So what else what else did you see in the stars or in the Fault in Our Stars this month? Well, Candace Owens, um, I think this is like her like becoming a Taliban stand to like kind of go back to what I mentioned offhand briefly, I think is a really good example of just how much of an unprincipled grifter she is. Like it's she just like, like, you know, she was all about, you know, we're going to end all these like forever wars, all this stuff. And then it's like, Joe Biden is elected. To, we're actually going to do, we're going to leave the, leave Afghanistan. And suddenly everything goes to shit. 
Oh, absolutely. So uh, just to remind our viewers, there, Candace Owens has had several premium tweets this month. A lot of interesting takes on Afghanistan, the Taliban, all sorts of wonderful things. So, my, so you know, um, you know, this one's from August 25th, 2021 of Afghanistan has vaccinated approximately 2.4% of its population. They are a nation of 40 million people. Why aren't they all dead? Why have they only recorded 7,083 deaths? Bigger question, why is the Taliban ban- uh, banning the vaccines? Big brain plays. Does she forget that when the CIA was looking for bin Laden, they used polio vaccination efforts to embed CIA agents? Oh, it wasn't because actually that's, that was a thing for a while because the, uh, uh, there, was, there was huge resistance to the polio vaccine in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But no, that's that wasn't kind of the point where I was going on. Although I did like her tweet praising the Taliban for talking about Facebook censorship. I thought that one was very premium too. It's like that drill tweet of like you have like you know upon reflection or whatever it is. It's like you got to not hand it to the Taliban. Like, yeah. do not give any props to the Taliban ever. Yeah, uh, specifically August seventeenth, where she's quote tweeting a Taliban spokesperson. Uh, we've oh, reached good. we've reached the next level when the Taliban is hitting at the totalitarianism of the United States, and yes, they are telling the truth here. Big tech, favorite phrase, in collusion with the Democrats, have destroyed the elements that gave America the moral high ground in discussions about freedom worldwide. I, Candace, you don't miss. You I gotta gotta. I gotta hand it to Candace Owens. This is what Ben Shapiro hired her for. <laughs> is, is she? Is she working with Ben Shapiro still? She's with. I my, last I saw, she was with the Daily Wire. Uh, she has her own like news show um, or like talk show on the Daily Wire. Allegedly, I'm actually just going to check that because I haven't seen that in a hot minute. Because the Daily Wire also has several of our premium things. Because like Morgan, you and I have talked about how Matt Walsh wants to literally spy on your children twenty four seven. That's true. Yes. Yeah, Candace Owens is still hanging out with uh, the Daily Wire. Use uh, code Candace to get twenty five percent off your uh, Daily Wire subscription. Oh, oh, that's good. You're uh, welcome, Candace. <laughs> I wonder if she's still doing the marketing for the Freedom Phone. From from her from her, her iPhone. Yeah, we talked about that last month. Candace, if you're out there and you're still marketing the Freedom Phone, let us know. You know, what happened to the Freedom Phone? That, like, came like a flash in the pan. That grift sunk like a hot rock. I I, I really thought it was going to stay for a while. I think it was the Daily Beast did some reporting on it, and immediately everyone was like, oh, and they just kind of backed off of it. (laughs) Yeah, because it turns out that uh, just having a phone pre-installed with Parler doesn't justify its expense. No. Well, you know, we, when the processor is one favored by North Korea because it's easy to hack into. Uh... I would also like, I mean, is Parler even like where the cool kids are hanging out anymore? Or did everyone go to Gab? Because Parler think... was down for a while after they got kicked off of all the web web hosting services out yeah. there. AWS, uh, they suspended their suspended that whole thing with Parler. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've heard more about Gab than I've heard about Parler. Wow, so they've started shipping uh, Freedom phones. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, from so. August eighth was the last update. Uh, hmm, they sold out apparently of their first lot. 
And the, so if you order now, they'll be fulfilled on a first come first serve basis starting in November. So they must have ordered maybe like a couple hundred. I yeah. would think so, yeah. Or they're just lying. They could be. But according to Ken, according to Candace Owens, it really the the ones who are lying are CNN because they're America's Pravda. I mean, there's oh a God. picture of a guy with a whole stack of whole stack of FedEx small boxes, and those could be empty. Those, those could be empty. Uh, those are likely empty. Uh, so, what's our final judgment on Candace Owens here? Just don't don't praise the Taliban. That that's a bad it's a bad look. That's, that's a pretty, probably it. Yeah. That's a pretty easy bar she should have avoided. I, what can I say? Although, did, wasn't there this whole thing too with Nick Fuentes this month? Is about hey, they they've banned abortion and they're banning vaccines, and women have to stay in the home. The Taliban are doing such good things. Why don't we do this in America? Something along those lines. I don't know. I I stopped paying attention to Nick Fuentes as much when he got banned from Twitter. Yeah. He said something crazy like that. The last I saw of Nick Fuentes, he was getting like escorted out of some conservative. It was CPAC. Yeah, it was CPAC. Yeah, it was. He was getting escorted out of like CPAC, and everyone was making fun of like him and his crowd of like poorly fitting suit guys. Their it's suits a... really are not. Are Which not I just I don't understand like why it is a thing that like anyone who's like on the far right or whatever just like it's like they were required to wear a poorly fitted suit that they got from like Goodwill. Like is that is that is that just like the requirement? I think some of them can afford to go to Men's Warehouse. But just, like but even just, there, they just they can't find a suit that fits them. Well, because they don't pay for the tailoring option, they just Not buy it true. straight from the rack, and it and That's it shows. True. Along with the, I don't understand the whole thing about I'm going to buy this what seems to be like an expensive suit. I mean, we know they're not, but then wear two dollar sunglasses, and you can tell that it's made of really cheap plastic. Like you don't you don't match to fit the the full look. So it's yeah, like it's like if you're going to go out, just like go out and spend the money to like look half decent. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, maybe you are a fascist, but at least you're well dressed. But now it's That's like true. you're you're not, you're you're a fascist and you dress terribly. <laughs> All right. So what what else do we have this month? <laughs> well, I guess speaking of speaking of Gab, uh, Milo has COVID allegedly. What? What? Yeah. So that dropped. Uh, that's some. That's this is some good faith uh, pod uh, breaking news. Uh, Milo posted on his uh, po- or his Gab account that he um, has COVID nineteen, and he has decided to take um, everyone's favorite um, horse paste. No. Um, yeah, so he's taking it, and it's he's like posting it on on social media that like he's he's tested oh. positive and all this stuff, and he has like a there's like a picture or he uploaded what did he upload? He uploaded the needle the bottle of um well i don't even know what, what's this thing called again ivermectin 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 so he has that and like on it it says like for cattle and swine yeah it generally <laughs> comes as a paste that has to be flavored because it tastes terrible yeah so the one that he's using is a bottle and he has like a, a needle that says for veterinary use only so he's apparently taking it. Oh, he's, so he's doing uh, the big boy dose too. I would imagine so. Yeah. Oh no. my. Yeah. That's. I will say. So that's did, how Milo's doing. I did find a mechanism of action for ivermectin about how for its antiviral properties. 
And the long and short of it is it kills the COVID virus in the same way that a handgun would. It's oh, okay. Way, it's just way over. It's and that's why it's bad for you when you take a lot of it. <laughs> it's really it, bad for you. Like it is very. Do not take this. Life advice from us: Please don't take non-scientifically approved medications for well, diseases. You, you can because you can have a doctor prescribe you ivermectin because it is a it will dewarm a person. But uh, don't get your medicines from Tractor Supply. Yeah, I, I guess that that's at least the lowest bar we could set. <laughs> oh man don't go to the facebook comment section for dosing advice <laughs> well because i mean that was like if you if you go into these groups like this is like and this is completely off the point and i think i'm probably jumping ahead because i know you guys might be doing a deep dive on this because this is a pretty big shit show this but like as good as it gets it's like these like youtube these like facebook pages of like people who are like i have covid19 and i'm gonna like dose this and they're like no you need to do like this amount per like kilogram of body weight or whatever and they're like trying to do like the math but it's like okay but like the dose per kilogram of body weight is still for like a cow Mm. like (laughs) we do not weigh the same as cows no I'm, i'm gonna make that i'm gonna make that broad generalization right there so it's just, it, it goes downhill so fast. And then there's like the comments of it are like, hey, so I'm like really not feeling good. Should I like to take less? And they're like, yeah, maybe like have a bit less of a dose. And it's like, you should just not do this. Or someone's like, man, it tastes really bad. Can I just like put it up my butt? <laughs> I did see that. Oh, no, that's, don't, uh, oh boy, man. Are they taking it every day? I have no idea what the actual like these people are dosing with. Like like in terms of like whether it's every day, every other day. I wonder what the package recommends if you if if you have a horse that has worms. I wonder what the pack cuz presumably the package would say, you know, your horse needs to take this once every such and such dosage at such and such dosage level. Like there there has to at least be that on the package to give you a certain clue as to what the limit should be because you're comparing yourself to an animal that weighs several times more than you do. So looking at Milo's picture of his bottle of this stuff, right under the for cattle and swine, it says consult your veterinarian for assistance on diagnosis, treatment and control of parasites. <laughs> so it's like the bottles, like you need to talk to someone who went to like veterinary school to tell you how much to like give your horse. I would imagine a veterinarian could also be like, well, no, you're going to want to have to have your dosage. <laughs> I am seeing the usual dose is 150 micrograms per kilogram. Okay. Which is 68 micrograms per pound. Okay. Okay. Of body weight. Okay. Uh, I, I'm on my day off, so I'm not willing to do that calculation. I'm going to ballpark Milo at like, he's like taller ish. I'm going to ballpark him at 170 pounds. So it was what? 170 or it was how many, how many micrograms per pound? 68. So like, you're looking at like a gram and a gram and a half or so of this stuff. Oh, okay. you know what? I take that back. So this is for oral tablets, and the number I read you off is to cure river blindness. <laughs> That's a different sort of. It's it's a little higher for other. It's a different use of this. Okay. Yeah, you get you get river blindness from uh, another parasite that gets in and causes blindness. Oh, I don't like that. But it does say that the treatment may be repeated every 3 to 12 months. Uh, mm. 
for mm. river blindness. And then for this other one that I can't pronounce, and I'm sorry, but I'm not a doctor, additional <laughs> doses usually are not needed. So if these people are taking multiple doses, it's not good. Oh, man. I just... So we're just going to wrap up with Milo and just wish him good luck. Hopefully, you know, maybe he recovers, maybe he doesn't. You know, just... I mean, I don't think it'll be fatal, but, like, it's definitely not going to, like, help anything. I don't know if it's going to get rid of his brain worms. <laughs> no, there's nothing curing that. Yeah. Not in the near... Not even, not even be- becoming a Christian has saved him from... Oh, yeah, he's post-gay now. Yes. Uh, he's, he's not only Christian, he's Catholic, isn't he? I think... Isn't yeah. that it? Yeah, he converted to... Cath- uh, Cath- I think it was Catholicism, and, like... His husband is now, like, just a roommate, which, like, bro, <laughs> you just got, like, room, you don't even get friends on, you got roommated by, like, yeah. Milo. Man, I, I don't even want to think about that. Uh, we should get I that guess, guy on. Yeah, we, we should get that guy on, because we should just ask him, you know, does God speak to you in mysterious ways? He speaks to him on Gab. <laughs> oh, jeez. We're gonna wrap, uh, Morgan. We're gonna wrap up with with our with our grifter segment specifically this month. Do we feel we feel good feel good here, or do we feel like we we need to or feel like we, we need to dive in with some other great people? No, this is this is pretty good. We, I think we have uh, our quick fire round for anything else that sort of pops into your head. Yeah. Okay. So, Carl, getting away from grifters, we're getting into constitutional rights. Does the Second Amendment apply to biscuit guns? <laughs> no one else can see it except Connor and myself, but Carl is wearing a hat with an anthropomorphic biscuit. Excuse it. you? It's Big Mo. Whoa, okay. <laughs> this is the mascot of one of my favorite minor league baseball teams of all time, the Montgomery Biscuits. And I learned this month while I was browsing the web and buying their merch that at their baseball games, at their professional baseball games, mind you, they um, fire off hot biscuits into the crowd with their own biscuit cannon. Yes. And it is one of the most amazing things that I've learned. So when people tell you that there's nothing left to learn in the universe, they're wrong. There's always something else to delight you. Uh, So according to... According to the to Supreme Court rulings, I don't think biscuit guns are illegal. They're not automatic weapons. They're sure. they're not covered by automatic weapon statutes in the U.S. So my under my very limited understanding of U.S. firearms law is that these biscuit cannons are perfectly legal. Even if you let the biscuits go kind of cold and stale, you leave them out overnight, and that's when they get hard as a rock. I mean, they do become blunt weapons at that, but that's still you're not. I mean, you may give someone food poisoning if they decide to then consume the biscuit after being hit with it. Uh, I th- at that point, you may be charged, I guess, with gross negligence. I I, I don't know. I, uh, Connor, you're more a legal expert for uh, for crimes. I, I don't. I, I I I honestly don't know. As as the Canadian here, um, I just need to say that this is my favorite application of the Second Amendment. Um, <laughs> this is this is awesome. Um, I don't know. Would that be gross negligence? Well. You probably need to know that, like, 
like it would depend if you would know, if you knew that like shooting a very hard biscuit at someone like I'm assuming this thing's like a potato gun, right? Pretty much. Like just it some, looks it's like, like it, it's a potato gun. You got like your hairspray and you're like uh, doing that whole thing. Oh it's yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. Like if it probably you probably need to know like the biscuit very hard getting shot out of like a potato gun with hairspray is probably going to hurt someone at the very least. Oh sure. Firing it off into a willing crowd, though, who's like, I haven't gone to a Cracker Barrel recently. I, I need to get my I need to get in my fix for great <laughs> my, fix. my my great fix for great uh, breads from the South, and clearly the only way I can get them is at a Montgomery Biscuits baseball game. Well, I should hope you wouldn't go to a damn Cracker Barrel for that. <laughs> their their biscuits oh, are my. their biscuits are okay. That's not what you want in a biscuit. I if if you're if you look if you're in if you're in a in a fast mood and you don't want to make your own biscuits from scratch which you obviously should you can just be like mm, I would just want something light and fluffy I can just go to Cracker Barrel really quickly and get and get that I just go to ye old Bojangles down the road Well you see I don't have a Bojangles down the road from me We don't have a Cracker Barrel in Canada <laughs> You should they're starting to serve alcoholic drinks Really? Ooh. Thanks to the pandemic, they're like, man, we need a way to get people back in here. And the answer is booze. And so what we really need is that you need really drunk old people sitting on all those rocking chairs that are right outside of each Cracker Barrel. Yeah, playing checkers. Playing checkers, yes. I'm so glad that they kept the checkers, though. And the weird like novelty store that they have right in front. Mm-hmm. They have yeah, it's, for... a, it's a yeah. general store with candies and barrels. It's a general store. Yeah, with... Uh, old-timey farming equipment, some sharp, some not, hanging from the ceiling. Uh, yeah, they should probably check that for any p- potential gross negligence arising from those things falling down. So, uh, um, so I'm going to go with, yes, biscuit guns are legal under the Second Amendment, and Beautiful. that we need to go to a Montgomery Biscuits game soon. Let's do it. Let's do a play-by-play. Oh, God, we, need, we actually game. do need to do a play-by-play. Uh, what are, should we do a live recording from a Montgomery Biscuits game? Let's do it. We should totally do that. Um, are are your uh, food guns legal in your part of the of the United States? Send us an email at <laughs> goodfaithpod at gmail dot com or what is our <laughs> phone number, Morgan? Oh no! Oh, that's what I forgot to do was write that down. Are you oh. fool? Uh, you been... guys have an email and a phone number, man. We do. We have, we have an honest to god, here. an honest to god phone number that people can call. <laughs> I, like we mentioned on the last podcast, I didn't believe it I, I when Morgan told me, and then he read out the phone number to me, and then he uh, played it for us right before the recording, and I physically died. I am a serious as a heart attack when it comes to novelty accounts, like <laughs> fake phone numbers and emails. All right, get your pen and paper, write this down, leave us a, a crazy voicemail, a not crazy one, whatever. We'll put you on the show. It is 980-263-9841. And I'll start putting that in the show notes. So, moving on from biscuits, we're going to get us to another hot topic, which was, how do you feel, Morgan, about our our favorite aspiring socialist, uh, Nathan J. Robinson, stamping out leftist organizing in his own magazine? Oh, my God. Well, he's definitely back to aspiring now. Given that uh, his employees wanted to have a little more uh, control over the day-to-day operations because he's sort of an absent boss slash father to them. And uh, 
So I if, can't if, remember if he fired everybody or if he just asked them all to resign. It was it definitely rode that line of something between everyone has to resign and I'm going to fire everyone, which basically is a, in my book a constructive termination. Pretty much everyone was terminated. So if you are unaware, current affairs is a I don't know, how would you describe the political alignment of current affairs, Morgan? It is leftist Yimby. No, NIMBY. Got that wrong. Oh, yeah, we were really about to be canceled by some of our people if you if you said that. Oh, Very much NIMBY. Oh. Very much in that corner. And uh, I guess the long and the short of it from our, from our entertainment side is that the employees of Current Affairs are doing what is actually happening in a lot of newsrooms across the United States. They decided that they were going to try and form a union. And in keeping with the magazine's broadly left, sometimes socialist-leaning principles of workers organizing and that capitalism is terrible and all the all the other fun stuff. And then they proposed this, uh, current affairs pushed back, and then the Nathan J. Robinson, who is in command of that ship, uh, released a statement on current affairs, um, writing to respond to very serious allegations made about the actions I took as editor-in-chief of Current Affairs. Come clear that in order to maintain the confidence of our Current Affairs readership, I need to explain these events clearly. This is a classic great denial. Uh, it's very important to understand that Current Affairs has a tiny staff, which has consisted of myself, two business admin staff, and two editors. And Oh, so those were the staff that he put on his Triple P application that the math came out to each of them earn seventeen grand a year. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, but he he then goes on to say in his statement that I was troubled that current affairs current affairs seem to be losing sight of its core political goals. Are you? <laughs> it has uh, goals. Yes. Okay. So, it's um, lots of fun. Uh, this it's an eight-page apo- apology slash justification for firing everyone. Um, committed to making sure that current affairs always has fair labor practices. <sighs> I feel like this kind of reminds me of like the Sean King thing of like the ten thousand word um, article about like the full and transparent accounting of all the money I raised for Tamir Rice. Oh, it's like when man. you have to write an eight-page apology on your like labor practices and how you definitely did not fire your staff mm-hmm. like just take the l you're not you're it's it's not helping no especially since he wrote in his statement i cannot accept the charge that the issue here was one of labor rights just oh, uh oh yeah this parting staff knew full well that there were never any disputes over working conditions so you know the what, what are you talking about everything's glorious in in the people's republic I mean, he could have made it an actual sweatshop. It's based in New Orleans, and you just open the windows and cut the AC. <laughs> Which is pretty surprising to me. I did not know the current affairs is actually based in uh, New Orleans. That's where he's doing his field work for his. Is it? It's his. No, it's Harvard PhD. Yeah. Yeah. So the, this all got started from a, a Twitter account. Uh, which I can't cannot pronounce, but I'll try to as much as I can. Uh, Lita Gold, whose tagline is "Fired for doing socialism." I mean, you know, who among us? Pro- who who among us? But uh, effectively fired. 
grieved to tell grieved to tell their audience that Nathan J. Robinson had effectively fired themselves and most of the current affairs staff because they were trying to organize into a workers' co-op. And I mean, the allegations are pretty substantial. I would encourage everyone to look at it and draw their own conclusions about uh, people who are not willing to act upon their beliefs. But Nathan J. Robinson, you are still dressed like a wacko. I do not. He is he he could have he could have probably applied to be one of the one of the doctors from Doctor Who from like maybe 10, 15 years ago, like before, like before Tennant. Yeah, I can, I can make an argument that's like there's some doctor in there that would dress as ridiculously as Robinson. They already had one of those, uh, Tom Barker. Tom Baker. Baker, yep. Oh, which oh, yeah, but I would take Tom Baker over Nathan Robinson any day. Well, sure. Yeah. So I will say it's funny that you go to Doctor Who because I immediately go to like Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. <laughs> like that's where I see. I'm like he's like an extra for like. Um, Harvey Dent and like Two Faces, like Goon Squad or whatever. Like he's Ooh. running around with them. Maybe we'll see him in the new Joker movie. They're making a second one. Maybe this is maybe this is his Joker moment. This is when this is when he has a, he has a, an actual break with with everything. Oh no! Here's the thing: we live in a society. Anyway. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, moving on to the next one. Oh, what you geez. got for us, Carl? Uh, what do I have for you? Uh... If you know, if I looked at the script every once in a while, I'd probably know what to do. Um, actually, you know what? No, Morgan, I have something for you. <gasps> please, 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 because I sent this to you. Uh, so Morgan and I, as as many of you are aware, in this podcast, uh, send tweets to each other back and forth over the month, just like this is what we need to talk about over this month and things that pop up. And one of the things that popped up was a individual who made some certain tweets that were quite interesting. And then we learned that they had actually published a book and this book's title is named post-colonial astrology. Yes. I sent this to Morgan saying, this is insane. I don't understand what is going on here. And then several days later, I get an image that pops up in my messages and it's Morgan with him holding an actual (laughs) physical copy of this book post-colonial astrology and so i think i'm gonna have to make myself another drink for this you do it make sure it costs you 15 bucks because that's what's in my hands right now so do you want to go describe that while i do the do an impromptu for the first time on this podcast mind you the first time where i'm going to leave my desk really quickly to go pour myself another drink (laughs) Uh, the helmsman away from his station Yes, yeah, so post-colonial astrology, reading the planets through capital, power, and labor, by Alice Sparkly Cat, with a K. You know, the tweet that Carl sent me didn't make any sense with its experts, and after flipping through the book for about a week, I still have no better idea of what's going on. There's a lot of mention of charging interest and banking as an issue a lot of revolutionary topics Uh, so the chapter on labor includes mercury and jupiter specifically but jupiter also has its own etymology connor this book is 302 pages long pick a number between one and 302 69 yay 
Perfect. Let's just flip through here. You know, this is actually the page that someone else picked, so I really should have just had this bookmarked. <laughs> White reproduction is always situated within the nuclear family. Colonized reproduction is not framed as happening inside the protected space of the family, but is instead accounted for as reproduction without kinship. Reproduction without kinship is not a natural state, but a socio-political reality enforced by a police state that breaks up communal ties and social relations. Within this context, the white nuclear family is not only a buffered zone that seeks to protect itself from radicalized others, but also an active threat that destabilizes existing communities. Um, so if you fell asleep for, the, for, driving, for, for those of those who 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 are still joining us and I just came back with a drink and Connor looks like he's about to have a mental break. That's the look of someone who's had uh, a couple fuses blow. This is, this, this reminds me of like a Jordan Peterson speech or like one of his like books where it's just like, you just read something to me or you just said something and you didn't say anything at all. Correct. I'm not even sure where the astrology part came into that. So there's, it's it's tackling post-colonialism and astrology. There's plenty of astrology in it. Um, okay, well then I'll recommend that, uh, yeah, flip to a random part. Um, Do it. 77. Not going far, are we? Uh, I no, said 69. Uh, yeah, I think someone else already... Did, did, Morgan, did you mention someone else already asked you to flip to that page? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> it's a classic joke. <laughs> Without government, humankind relied on the whims of nature to meet their needs. Saturn was a wish for utopia, where the present-day government did not exist, and a fear of dystopia, where humanity was subject to the whims of nature unshielded. At its core, Saturn is a reminder that authority is the result of a stable relationship between humans and land, as well as between in parentheses, agri, culture, and nature. Wait, I'm sorry. Are we, is this book, this book must have been horribly edited because I think I just heard that people were living on Saturn. No. No, the government constructed Saturn? Saturn was a wish for utopia where the present day government did not exist in a fear of dystopia where humanity was subject to the whims of nature unshielded. So this, like, this Saturn, did they, Saturn they reminds take, like, us. Their, did they take like the intro political science class where they like you learn about like Locke and Hobbes and like the Leviathan and all that fun stuff, and then they're like, "Hold on, I got this." Because that's what this reminds me of. It's like your intro political science. You just learned about political philosophy, and now you're like, "I'm going to write a book." This sounds great. Uh, how much further are we allowed to go? How many more pages do we have? Because now I'm really curious. There are 302 pages of text in the book, not including works cited and. There's a work cited for this. Oh, that's Go to like page 200. Yeah. Now I was just about we'll to say skip something some like chapters. <laughs> oh yeah. 200. Where we land? Where do we land? We're in power, Venus and Mars. Let's see. Hmm. Politics of Innocence doesn't make... or Wow, sorry. I read that incorrectly. Politics of Innocence don't make sense. All people of color know about racism from a very young age. All femmes know and experience rape culture from a very young age. 
Often people choose to enter institutions where there is a real threat of violence because these same institutions have resources needed for our survival. Often people enter institutions such as prisons, detention centers, jails, when they know non-consensual violations are likely to happen in these institutions. A politics against innocence must understand all of these things. It must understand that asylum seekers often carry contraceptives with them when they cross borders because they know they are likely to be raped when they make their journeys, but they choose to make their journey anyway. So we're in politics of innocence, where the chapter ends of love that cuts into capitalism can make you whole again. This love is also work. It takes an immensity out of you. It moves you and it moves with you. I don't feel moved by this right now. So, like, I was kind of, I was going to say, like, okay, like, this is, like, the first thing that, like, you've read that, like, kind of makes some sense. Mm-hmm. And then you read that last little bit. And I'm like, no, it just, it, no, you nuked it. Two pages later, you know. Um, let's see. Uh, let's try 241. Oh, Lord. Hey, look, I'm already there. So at what point do we get, like, hit with a copy? Do you guys get hit with a copyright strike for, like, the audiobook version on this? <laughs> I bought the book. We're we're not sure where the uh where that comes in or how much of edited content that allows us. So if there are any What's copyright the fair, is this is this fair use? This is fair use. I think this okay. is fair use, yeah. I mean I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> we're this podcast does not give people legal advice. I'm but if really... you are, if you are just happen to be a copyright lawyer, uh, send us an email or <laughs> or leave us a voicemail and we will get back to you. Oh Lord, where to start in this? Oh great, I'm so glad I picked this. So okay, two forty one, huh? Yes, two forty one. Influenced by Bachoffen, Friedrich Engels compares the overthrowing of the primordial mother right with the the world historic defeat of the female sex, attributing this defeat to the new technologies of agriculture and civilization. Matriarchal societies for Engels could only exist in a historically faraway time period, too ancient to be called historic. This prehistoric period, which Engels named savagery before the barbaric period and the civilized period in his essay, Origins of the Family, was considered an unevolved society. Yeah, he writes that the kinship networks of the American Indians were essentially identical with the genia of the Greeks and the gentes of the Romans creating a parallel between indigenous societies contemporary to his time and archaic societies depicted in classic poetry. Hmm. I don't know where that's supposed to go. I don't entirely understand what's supposed to be said. But The only thing I heard was that it was that indigenous societies were compared to societies in, I heard Rome, but I don't remember if I remember Greece in there as well, which is yep, Greek. definitely... Like, I would have to consult a historian, but I think a historian on indigenous peoples and then a historian of the classical period would, from my basic sense, would violently disagree about the nature of family structures in both of those two realms. But what do I know? Also, there are still matriarchal societies that exist. Um, some of the most prominent ones are indigenous communities in, for example, like central India. So I don't know. But I feel like this, again, this is one of those things where I'm going to say things that sound smart. But in reality, I'm not going to do any fact checking in my, you know, like source citations. But that's just me. But that was very interesting. 
That's a way to put it. Um, Connor, do you want to pick? A, do you want to pick another page? Oh God. Uh, my brain, to, to quote the philosopher Dave Rubin, uh, my brain is in recovery mode from all those high-level ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm still processing the first page that that, that you read. Okay, I'll, ma- I'll mail you this book. This will give you something. No, to do you don't. You do not need to do that, sir. You, <laughs> I, it is a very kind gesture, but you absolutely do not need to mail me that book. But okay, is there any mention in this book of postcolonial astrology about how Ukraine is in NATO? Oh my god! Uh, let me check the index because there is an index. Oh god, there's an index to this book on postcolonial astrology. <laughs> Uh, I mean, no. if there is, like, this is already better. This is more, like, accurate than whatever shit Dave Rubin put out, so. <laughs> no, it definitely, the index jumps from Napoleon Bonaparte nationalism, natives versus nationals, to Nazis. So oh. NATO. Oh, boo. And then Ukraine. No, underworld to John Uri. <laughs> uh, okay, then I'm gonna, then maybe we should start earlier in the book, but before before the before the nice page uh what about page 42 <gasps> secret to life universe and everything let's mm-hmm. see if there, let's see if, if there is true if there are true answers on that page <laughs> surveillance is not neutral some gazes when they see a thing make it more real than other gazes the gaze is a colonial encounter Surveillance is the act of making things real by looking at them through white gazes and male gazes. These gazes are eyes from which rays of sight extend outward. This has to do with the etymology of the sun. So the British Empire is often imagined with the sun. It was a place upon which the sun would never set. So it seems that the structure of the book is going into ideas behind each heavenly body with occasional subtopics like how labor deals with Mars and Jupiter. But that's not how sight works. I'm so confused. You know, this could just be like another, we're not trapping upon this. This could just be another big so-called hoax and we're just living through it right now. This is brilliant. If this is... You think this is like a master stroke to get me to spend 15 bucks? This this would be a master stroke. Of, this could just be a master stroke of a grift right here. It's to make all it's so a whole bunch of people believe in it. And then the author just comes back and just like, psych, you guys all thought, thought that there was an interplay between post-colonialism and astrology. It, this was just me typing up just random clackety clacks on the keyboard. I, I in which case, I would applaud it. I did buy it on Amazon. It got here in two days. So I don't know how that speaks to this person's fundamental values. Oh, the fundamental values of capitalism? Mm-hmm. Hey, gotta make a buck. I gotta make a buck somehow. Gotta fund Jeff Bezos' penis rockets, too. <laughs> Someone's got to, and it might as well be me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, post-colonial astrology readers everywhere. So... If you are in for a good read, and if you were able to decipher that Rosetta Stone, please send us an email or <laughs> drop us a voicemail, and maybe we'll be able to deal with this much better. But I will as... mail somebody this book. <laughs> Get it out of my house. <laughs> but you see, it's not like Dave Rubin. Don't burn that book. <laughs> oh, geez, man, we we have touched on so much with the, with 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 that. I. 
Cheers. You want to do worms? Do you want to do worms now? Should we do the quick fire round first and then get to worms? I don't know. I, I, I almost feel like, again, it sort of depends about how far you want to leap from postcolonial astrology to just random <laughs> things that also happened this month or just straight into worms. Because we have, we have touched on the worms already. So, you know, I'll go ahead and, and jump into uh, parasitic worms and Eremectin and COVID and how that all relates. That way we can just go, we can just continue on this post-colonial astrology journey into also feeling bad. And then we'll, you know, end a little lighthearted. <laughs> All right. So as I'm sure a lot of folks know at this point, a lot of people worried about COVID killing them, but won't get the vaccine are looking for any other options they can. They're taking zinc. They're taking their vitamin D3s. You know, they're taking their omega-3s. They're doing literally anything but wear a mask and get the vaccines that are safe. It's almost like we've run the largest uh, clinical study with millions of people getting the shots and there's no problems. But for whatever reason, a lot of folks have latched onto a drug called Evermectin, which does have some antiviral properties kind of sort of it's a it's used a lot by people with large animals to deworm them from parasites which means that if you go to your doctor and say hey i want some evermectin and your doctor says no you're crazy then you just go to the tractor supply and you pick up your apple flavored horse dewormer paste and uh it's apparently even still tastes really awful even with the different horse flavorings. So let me, under, if you, if I understand this really briefly, this is a medical drug, which a form of it is prescribable for, for human beings. Yes. And there's a form of it that is prescribed for actual animals. Correct. And when there are some people so dedicated to finding out, finding this drug that if they are turned down by their doctor or their pharmacist, they just go straight to the, animal version which you don't need a prescription for correct because you don't have to have people type insurance for your animal drugs oh my the problem is that and this was mentioned earlier cows and horses are a lot bigger than your average human being a lot bigger so you have to take more medicine so instead of say grabbing you know two ibuprofens It'd be like taking a fistful of ibuprofen for the same dosage for a horse. But you're doing it with something that is fairly toxic. I couldn't find any confirmation of people were posting rope worms, which is a term from the group of people that would take miracle mineral solution where their intestines would start falling out. But I can't confirm that ivermectin actually causes rope worms, which is your intestines basically falling apart and coming out of your body. It does do very awful things to your liver and it will kill you if you take enough of it. Can I just say, just pausing really quickly, this is, this is a, a, a diversion, but rope worms, great band name. Jesus. Oh no. Everybody give it up for rope worms. Hey. It's a wham cover band. It's a wham cover band. Uh, Got to milk it for all it's worth. Oh, no. 
Anyway, so, so taking stock of the situation, Morgan, why don't you please continue? Right. So people are taking ivermectin. They, they get it in the same dosage for horses. There's horses on the boxes. Great. Fine. What seems to be happening is that there are going eventually to be a non-zero number of people who will actually be dewormed from this. Seeing as ivermectin is a dewormer and they're an estimated just of roundworm, which is Toxocara canis, which is something that dogs get super often. That's why you give them their little dewormer pills and, and everything else. Some paracos, I believe it is. Um, that infects an estimated 1.3 to 2.8 million humans in the U.S. currently. Oh, I don't like that. That's just in the States, where we're a nominally first-world country. Anywhere between 1 and 3 million people have a, just a specific parasitic worm in them. How? What's the transition? What's the, uh, what's the transmission mechanism? It? Yeah, how do you get it? Your dog gets it, your dog poops in the yard, and then the eggs from the worm go into the soil, and then if you don't wash your hands all the time, they pick up on your hand, or you can even... If you're petting your dog and your dog say rolled around in the dirt, you could transfer it onto your hand and then it's gotcha. No. No. Wash your hands, kids. Please, 20 seconds. Hot water. You can sing the, um, uh, I mean, you can sing happy birthday, but apparently a bunch of other uh, course lines also do it as well. Like Michael Jackson's Beat It apparently will also do it for you as well. Please continue. I am horrified at this point. There has been other estimates that approximately 40% of the world's population has some species of parasitic worms. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. 40%. There's what, 7 billion people that comes out to two and change? No, one and change? Almost two? Almost two billion people around the world? I don't. No. Because you know there's also hookworm, which lives in not too not too well drained, but not too uh saturated soils that when you walk across it barefoot it latches onto the bottom of your foot no. and grows in. I, I'm never going outside ever again. <laughs> Just wear your shoes. I No, oh it's crazy. There if you look up a... pictures of these worms like at, at, at super high magnification you never want to go outside ever again. Oh, what's super fun, kind of, sort of, is that a lot of these worms are not microscopic. You can see them with the naked eye. So, there has there is a study in Lound County, Alabama, in a pretty, pretty poor, pretty rural area. 34.5% of the area of the people living there had worms. How? Bad sanitation. I mean, it, a lot of this stuff is from, like, you know, if a wastewater treatment plant backs up, or you spray manure on a on a crop field. Oh, thank and God it's infrastructure month. There is a rural poor area of Tennessee where nineteen point six percent of school children, just school children, had worms. So, what is this? What does this mean? So many billions of people, hundreds of millions around the world with it. Well, it turns out 
from some studies done in Ethiopia that, and this is from the Lancet. So the title of the paper is The Effect of Co-Infection with Intestinal Parasites on COVID-19 Severity. Parasite co-infection is associated with a reduced risk of severe COVID-19 in African patients. Parasite-driven immunomodularity responses may mute hyperinflammation associated with severe COVID-19. You just told me a bunch of doctory stuff. Basically, if you have parasitic worms, there is some mechanism of that which reduces the super severe inflammation side effects of COVID that kills you. Okay. So if you, basically your survival chances, even just your severity of symptoms is you have a better outlook if you have these parasitic worms in you. So by sheer dumb luck, there's going to be like four of these idiots. Yeah. Who survive COVID or have a let like a lower COVID symptom out like outlook and cure their own worms. So that's at the, the same in one shot. Nope. Nope. That's the fun part. When you take Evermectin, you are dewormed. So really these people are taking it to kill the COVID virus, which explained it earlier. It's, it's the same mechanism, the same way that a handgun would kill the COVID virus. It just obliterates it. Uh, people are actually increasing their chances for death and severe symptoms by taking Evermectin. Not that their liver's going to fail or they might die or, you know, uh, be in a lot of pain and nausea you know, from taking kind of sort of poison. Like, So it's kind of an irony, isn't it? I hate that, that by killing the worms, you increase your chance of dying from COVID. Isn't that crazy? That so, so I do have a question. How did the Evermectin thing start? Like, who was the genius who decided that? Because I remember last year when the whole thing was hydrochloroquine, which was a, which is right. a very popular anti-malarial drug. Correct. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, taking that anti-malarial drug actually did not reduce your chance of recovering from COVID. So I understand that. So what what explains the move from hydrochloroquine to ivermectin? My understanding of it is because the pandemic was such a huge issue, we were trying to throw whatever we could against it to see what worked. And from what I had heard is that the ivermectin is shown to have antiviral properties, kind of, sort of, but, you know, it fails your liver and kills you. So you generally don't want to be taking a lot of it there's better drugs, there's better treatment, so they dropped it, but they got into a study, and so these people, either without jobs or locked in their homes during lockdown, have nothing to do but sit around and look for something, anything. Because this, you gotta remember, it was almost a year before we had the vaccines. We thought it was gonna be two, maybe three years before they were even widely available. So people were desperate looking for anything. I just don't understand you could get the vaccine. I know it's got nanites in it. I know it gives you 5G cell service. I know it's, you know, it's got dead babies in it. Oh, what else? Uh, it's going to make you have fertility issues, which all the data says that it doesn't. Uh, there are no nanites in it. Um, you know. Your 5G is probably just improving because your cell towers locally are improving. 
ideally, yeah. unless you have the Irish nearby burning them down. Oh yeah, there was that whole yeah. thing. There was that article that happened. The American frontline doctors also were kind of pushing um, hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. Oh, that's um, right. That was they've some... been so. For those of you who probably don't know about American frontline doctors, they're the organization that gave us um, Stella, Doctor Stella Emanuel, who said that ovarian cysts were because you had sex with a demon. Yes. Oh. Yeah, and like Trump had like elevated her um, previously when he was in office. He like so, he retweeted something like a video of her and was like, "She sounds great." Yeah, it was something like that, and like so they've been like they created this like speak with like frontlinemd.com. Like they created some like telemedicine website where you could go in and like basically request ivermectin or hydrochloroquine. And then when that didn't work, because, you know, you can't find you like there's huge wait times or whatever. People were like, oh, well, I'll just go to like, you know, my local United Farmers Association and pick up horse paste. Oh, my. One of my favorite parts of all this is that the paste tastes terrible. (laughs) Even with the flavoring, it's still awful. So there's people just like, what do I do? I mean, it's worse than folks trying to figure out how to eat magic mushrooms, right? <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember this, Morgan, but way back in the day, uh, back in the yonder days of youth, back and flashing back, to, I'm now to the early 2000s, where uh, uh, augmentin, which is a very powerful antibacterial, I think it's antibacterial, uh, was on the market. It was a liquid antibacterial. Because uh, it's like a stronger, stronger form of penicillin, stronger than penicillin, uh, mm-hmm. and it was only came in this white liquid form. And this stuff was disgusting. And giving it to children was probably a crime, because it only came in that same like white liquid, and it was terrible because nothing you added it to worked. Like tried oatmeal, tried yogurt, tried just mixing in as like a smoothie with something. It just was terrible. And then they finally came out with like a pill version, which no joke was probably about like half an inch big. And it was like, it was still better, still better than the liquid, liquid form because that same year they also came out with cherry and it was, it's essentially you were eating poisoned cherries because it was, it was still that bad. Is this, is this a a personal experience you had? This is a, this is several personal experiences I had as a young child when I had, um, you know, like pneumonia, for example, because it was, it was the only thing they would prescribe. And I would tell my mom, please don't let them prescribe Augmentin. They're like, well, penicillin's not going to kill this thing. We're going to have to prescribe Augmentin. And I'd just be there in the doctor's office groaning. It's like, oh. Sounds like you had worms. You know, I will tell you, I actually went in for a physical checkup about a month or two ago. I do not have worms. That's good. But I'm not going outside ever again because now I'm terrified. As, as I come across more fun facts about them, I'll just sort of shoot them your way. Please don't. <laughs> Please, just read me more post-colonial astrology rather than worms. Oh, no. Yeah, well, yeah, you need to go to sleep. By the way, don't don't listen to these episodes while you drive. It's pretty <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? I do it all the time. Anyway, what else you got for us on? Oh, on worms? Uh, just Just the fantastic idea that People who live in poorer areas that might be desperate enough to try ivermectin are likelier to have worms, and it might be showing up at, in their poo and going, 
hey, look, I'm deworming. So all these people who think that they have worms in their poo might actually be correct. <laughs> and they're possibly increasing the chances they could die from COVID or have severe symptoms. Because there have also been some uh, Twitter and Facebook and social media posts recently about prominent promoters of ivermectin who have died. Like there was a, I, I want to say it was a, it was a pod, it was either a podcast or a radio host who died recently. Radio host. Radio host. There was also one with where a police officer who was very big into it also recently passed away from COVID. And look, COVID is terrible. It's impacting families across the United States. And around the world, you know, you know, Canada, you're up there too. Uh, it's impacting people around the world, and it's very severe. But it's the whole ivermectin thing just gets me. I just uh, a dewormer. I never thought we'd reach reach this stage. No, I'm I'm not surprised to be. You understand? Honest. You understand that people put whiskey on baby's gums to make them stop crying? You just get your babies drunk? Yeah. How is this any different? <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, you know, there's like, to be serious for a second, I mean, there's a lot of people who are skeptical of big pharma. And I think one of the, kind of, this is off on a little tangent of mine, but like one thing that I think has become really apparent throughout the pandemic is like the fitness industry and like the wellness industry is not coming out looking good mm. at all. Hmm. of like how skeptical skeptical they are of big pharma or like just kind of pushing like well no you just need to like get healthy and like all this stuff and it's like well okay yeah fine there's like some comorbidities with covid and like being generally unhealthy but getting the shot is gonna fix your like it's gonna protect you in the short term while you go and get healthier like it's not like you're just gonna like overcome obesity in a week and a half in the middle of a pandemic Mm-hmm. like it's and i mean this is kind of an extension of that as you're seeing people pushing these like natural you know naturopathic or whatever remedies because uh well big pharma and this and it's like we just need to get healthier and eat, like you know zinc and ginger root and sing kumbaya and we're all gonna get over the pandemic oh man yeah are we are we good with wrapping up here morgan with that i think i'm done talking about the incidence of worms in the U.S. population. Oh man, that's oof. That's rough. I will say you could probably blame it all on Ronald Reagan. A lot of it. That's a bit of a stretch because <laughs> it, it is it is a stretch, but it goes to how in the eighties when Reagan was president, he was upset that the World Health Organization was. It was either taking a lot of money from commies or it was helping commies out more often than non-communist countries. And so he cut America's contributions, which today it's still to like $284 million a year to the World Health Organization. It hasn't kept up over time like you, like you had expected it to. It's really dropped off. Um, it goes like the U.S., China and then everybody else. And then for voluntary donations, it's the US and China's dead last. But the World Health Organization used to have like a big campaign for, for deworming and you know, Oh, this like is that. a worming, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> so can... I was about to wonder how someone in the eighties could have been responsible for COVID, but okay, yeah. Oh well, you know, it was in a lab. It was a lab. Something like that. I don't know. 
Oh man, that's its own that's its own conspiracy that that is of its own nature and philosophy. Although I think the CIA didn't they come out with it was like within the past five days I think they came out with a report saying they couldn't conclusively say one way or the other about the if lab leak theory. Them. If you believe them, I don't know. Believe what you believe about the CIA. Write it. Write to us. Let us know what you think. Tell us by shouting at the clouds. We'll hear you. <laughs> it's uh, that's the only social media that Jacob Wool's allowed on is cloud shout. <laughs> I wonder if he's and allowed... OnlyFans. Yeah, and OnlyFans. I wonder if he's going to be allowed on Yik Yak. Because you know Yik Yak's coming back. It's coming back, just like S Club Seven came back. Just like that. Oh man, I get to relive all my college days again on Yik Yak. <laughs> oh boy. So moving on from worms i have a short segment this month uh it's almost in our quickfire round but is this the secret one that you refuse to elaborate on it is so uh this is a short one because of course morgan did such a great job talking about worms that i'm going to be forever horrified by them so uh how about i take you into a little bitty thing that i like to that i like to call Evidence of fraud in an influential field experiment about dishonesty. So this is a paper that came out this month. And I love everything about it, basically because it shows that there's fraud about people who lie. <laughs> there was this paper that came out that said, hey, people lie about certain things. And then someone, a couple of other people came along, looked at the research paper and went, hey, there's some fraudulent things going on with this research paper. So the authors of this uh, article, which it appeared in a great website, Data Colada, which has a pina colada as part of its logo. It's phenomenal. Do you uh, like frauds and lies? If they're caught in the rain. <laughs> and the these co-authors of this paper that came out in 2012 were caught in the rain, actually. It was a in 2012. So there is a group of co-authors: Shu, Mazar, Gino, Arley, and Bazerman. They published a three-study paper in the uh, journal PNAS, uh, and it's essentially it's a field experiment that was conducted in the southeastern United States. And it's one of these behavioral. It's kind of like a behavioral economics paper, which essentially describes. Uh, how you were supposed to, how people react to certain situations. And it's a whole thing about you have a control group and then you have this test group of uh, can you control dishonesty in reporting? And, you know, it's one of these behavioral econ topics about, you know, do, do, do these small nudges change how people behave? Now, you know, fascinating research, behavioral economics. There's a bunch of papers that have come out. There's a bunch of influential work in this field. But one of the things that this paper was tackling was uh, dishonesty in reporting. And specifically, this paper was focusing on when you have to go in, for example, get your vehicle inspected, or you have to go in and get your uh, license renewed, or you have to exchange the title, one of the things that people ask about, or that a government agency will ask about, is can you tell us how many miles are on your odometer? And most people, being practical, may not actually know the exact mileage on their vehicles, and so they'll write in round numbers. Or they'll just try to guess, be close. And so the question is, if people are asked up front if the statement is accurate or not, or if they ask at the very end after they've written everything down, does that change the nature of people's behavior? So in this case, it would be, 
if you are writing down the odometer miles and but the first you have to sign i you know i say that this is a true and accurate accounting of what's written on uh, my car or if you sign at the very end after you've written down what's on your odometer is there a change between the two do people who fill out one form act differently than the other and what the study had concluded was yes there was a difference that people who were forced to sign an uh, basically an honesty pledge beforehand reported more accurate numbers than people who signed uh, at the very bottom of a page here's the problem though there are smart people out there who look at research papers and go i want to replicate this study i want to look at the underlying data and so the authors of this anonymous article, again, this article is completely anonymous, so we don't know which which economists, which data scientists, which people went in and dug through this paper on, <laughs> on dishonesty and reporting, went through and they were looking at these baseline odometer readings, and the data that they were provided was stored in an Excel file. Uh, and it was relatively easy for them to go through this Excel file, and they were able to look at you know, the distribution of recorded miles and things of that nature. And they started noticing that there were some things that were really weird. So for example, they noticed that the digit at the very end, so at the very end of your odometer reading, they noticed that in their sample uh, of, that was published in this paper, that it was a uni it was uniform distribution, that it was you know, the same likely chance of having a 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to the very end. The problem is that when you encounter things in the natural world, uh, those things don't tend to happen very often. It generally happens that zero is more common than one, which is more common than two, and so on and so forth. And they were sort of saying, huh, this, this seems a little suspicious, a little odd. Let's dig into this a little bit more. And they were looking, they looked at the, these graphical distributions and said, well, you know, real people, they tend to round their numbers. You know, they may round it to the tens, but they're, most people aren't going to write down uh, all the way to the final digit on their odometer. It's more likely that they're going to say round to the tens. And they, when they looked at some of those data, they said, yeah, this makes sense. And the other half, they were going, this one really, this seems like it was produced by a random number generator. Well, when they typed in a bunch of random numbers into a random number generator, guess what happened? They got the same distribution and they went, huh, it looks like these people falsified some of the odometer readings in their data set. So it looks like they just made shit up. <laughs> but it gets worse than that. In the Excel file itself, there are, uh, there are segments where they have multiple different readings. And they were going through the Excel list and they went, you know, we have you know, maybe, I'm just going to make this, this is a 10,000 observations. And they went, you know, this is really weird. It looks like some of these numbers are inputted in one font, Calibri, and the others are inputted in this other font, Cambria. Well, when they looked at the data, they realized, huh, the data inputted in one font looks like it's actual recorded numbers. The data reported in the other font looks like it was randomly procedurally generated. So in this paper they're describing, it looks like this underlying data set, parts of it were just totally made up. They generated essentially fake numbers that matched in with their thesis, and they also helpfully labeled which ones they they generated by using a different font in their Excel file. So this is this is a bad look. 
for all of that, I encourage anyone to go and dive into this research paper in detail because it pretty much outlines how if you dive into it, you go, the distributions are wrong. It looks like these aren't natural numbers. It looks like these are procedurally generated. And their conclusion is, yeah, the, these people just falsified parts of their data set to get the answer that they wanted out of their research paper. Like there's in one data set, there's no rounding of numbers in the other set, which is in the other typeface, they are rounded. You have also instances where it looks like some people were duplicated. And so they had duplicated observations also in the Excel files. Um, there are people who have, like, if, if people were asked to record more than one time period, so hey, record your odometer reading at time one and then time two, it looks like people in the time two recordings were all uh, not rounded, like normal people would, would do. So it's, and then also there's this part where they were looking at and going, hmm, given the age of this car and given the individual who owns this and given their own self-reported how how far they drive this um distribution of mileage seems pretty improbable based on the actual number of miles that people drive like some of these numbers are coming in way too low now you're getting five i'm just i'm just giving an example five thousand miles on a car that's maybe 10 years old or something to that effect or you're getting mileage is like three hundred fifty thousand miles on a car that's maybe two or three years old it's just they were looking at going, this doesn't seem to match up with uh, prior recorded data. So this is, uh, so their their conclusion is quite blistering. They, they say the evidence presented indicates that the data underwent at least two forms of fabrication. Many data points were duplicated and then slightly altered using a random number generator. And then all of the of the data in a second time observation were created using a random number generator that capped miles driven at 50,000 miles. Uh, they are quite blistering. And they say, if you, uh, this, they need to answer, answer a lot of questions for themselves. So this is very interesting. And that goes to their point about all data that's used in these research studies should be posted. The code that used to generate that those results should be posted so other people can go and fact check because it's not actually very common for authors and co-authors to publish the data they have behind their research papers. So straight up lying is totally acceptable to get yourself, get yourself published into a prominent journal. And that's quite horrifying. And it goes to this thing that I was talking about, Morgan, where we uh, talk about the replication crisis in a lot of social science literature, which is that essentially a lot of scientific studies are almost difficult or impossible to replicate or reproduce. And there have been a lot of famous papers and people who've dug into, you know, if, if I've looked at social science experiments that have been published in Nature and Science between certain time periods, how many are could you actually do again? How many report the same results using the same data? And the essentially the, the consensus in the literature is it's all over the place. It is absolutely wild. There's some that say that, you know, maybe we can replicate half of all the studies that have ever been published in scientific journals, maybe two thirds if we're really lucky, uh, depending on the type of scientific study. And so, for example, there was a, there's a great there's a great blog called fantastic anachronism which had a 
a post in September of 2020, which went into uh, trying to replicate uh, several uh, hundred studies. I think they, they said that eventually they ended up with about 3,000 or so and 10 rounds of 300 papers each across all the social sciences. And their conclusion essentially was that you know, the best performing profession, if you look at journals in general, the best performing profession was economics, but then only about two thirds of their papers could be replicated, which as they point out is not great. <laughs> you had some like uh, uh, psychology education and um, I think one of the worst ones was what they said was uh, marketing papers are just totally irre- irreplicable. That there maybe you can replicate at best 40, 40 or 30% of their of every single study that's ever published. So it's sort of like all of these uh, all of these famous research papers that have ever been published or all the literature that's come out. And we don't know how far back this goes. It's essentially what's true and what's not is kind of up to interpretation because uh, standards are not rigorous enough in the sciences. And it's pretty terrible. I mean, there's uh, there's also a, an article in Vox, which talked about this. It was from 2018. Is that you know, many social science papers are just you can't just fail to replicate them. Uh, it's just this whole thing about people can't get the same results. On the one hand, it could be we don't have the underlying data, but it seems like the worst case scenario is people are just making shit up as they go along. So it's that's a that's my uh, conspiracy of the month. In, you know, in a nutshell, it's just. This was a bombshell paper. It w- I would I, I loved it when I came out because I went, oh, this can't be that bad. And then you read it and I went, oh, oh, oh my, it's worse than I thought it was. So that's, oof, that's a depressing take on the social sciences. But they basically just pulled an Andrew Wakefield and made up a study to sound good. Uh, pretty much, because I because you know it's this whole thing about their their paper was actually quite influential because it was talking about if we if you if you commit up front to to honesty you're more likely to report honest results but their entire paper was based on a lie it's just a straight up lie <laughs> it's it could it's be. on brand if nothing else oh absolutely a paper a paper on a paper turns out to be fraudulent when it talks about dishonesty it's entirely on brand with i this is academic grift right here and I'm just going to say that the, if you think that grifting is just related to people shitposting on social media, well, let me introduce you to every single academic journal out there. There is some bad stuff. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's my shtick for this month. So, it's a good shtick. It was. A paper on fraud found to be fraudulent. Who knew? Morgan. So, we had... In our quickfire round, I have to talk about this. It is one of the most amazing things that it happened. From Variety Magazine, quote, Britney Spears' father, Jamie Spears, agrees to step down from conservatorship. Wait, Ladies and gentlemen, we've won. We, we got this, this podcast scored a victory. If, you're, if you remember, is free. Britney is closer to being free than she was last time. Now they're trying to appoint a new conservator. Yes, I believe that the attorney is still coke is still conservator because it was it was it was uh, jamie spears and then it was this other attorney type person who was co-conservator on or co-guardian 
for Britney Spears' estate. So he has stepped down after 13 years. Coincidence that it happened after our podcast was released? I think not. Mm. Seen as a major victory. Um, So this was published in August 12th, 2021. It was, let's see, Spears' father filed a petition in Los Angeles Superior Court uh, announcing his decision to step down. He said he cooperated with the court on a transition, but did not give a timetable for his resignation. Um, Spears' attorneys cite the public battle with his daughter as his reasoning for stepping down, but states there are no actual grounds for suspending or removing him. Let's see. That's just as good as it needs to be, right? Yeah. I mean, the only other thing to fully hashtag free Britney would be to ter- for them to terminate the conservatorship. I think that's still uh, up in the air. There's still motions and hearings about terminating that conservatorship. So if you want to, uh, if you want to celebrate, there's plenty of reasons to celebrate, but we got to keep at it. All you listeners of the good faith podcast, we got to help Brittany finally get rid of this conservatorship. So what else happened this month? Let's see. Louis Gohmert is worried birds are exploding due to the green new deal. Okay. So, There are many fascinating characters in Congress. I think it's safe to say that we've gone over a select few of them at one point or another. Um, we've talked about... Uh, Cawthorn. We've definitely talked about Cawthorn. We've talked about yeah. Ted Cruz in more, than one, more than one time. Why am I persecuted here? We talked about... Uh, actually, weirdly enough, we talked about Colin Aldred that one time when I forgot that I lived in his congressional district. <laughs> uh, we talked about... A couple of characters. I don't think we've, I don't think we've talked about the squad um, at all, or the, the 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 cast of characters who are called the squad. Um, we haven't talked about Corey Bush, who is in favor of defunding the police, but hired tens of thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in special security, uh, private security, I might add, for that. Uh, fun character. Several. I, it, it was. It was several. It was either several thousand or tens of thousands. It was seventy grand. It was seventy grand. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm it's making. More than I'm making a year. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I have private security. But defunding the police needs to happen. Exactly. Interesting character, but we have not really talked so much about Louis Gomer, who comes from a congressional district. Uh, sorry to say, in East Texas. <gasps> I I want to say it's the first, but I think that's wrong. Mm. I thought he was the oh no that's Paul Gozar who's from Arizona yes oh no I was right Louis Gomer is from the first congressional district of Texas which is sort of like Nacogdoches type area if you're if you if anyone who's familiar with the south knows where that is nope. uh, if you're not familiar with the south it's not important but first in what uh, first in insanity because he's had a long history of making rather interesting comments that have gone back for several years. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this from the Dallas Morning News, quote, Gomert says birds are bursting in air as he blasts infrastructure bills, renewable energy projects. Texas Republican decries renewable energy project saying, quote, this is the green stuff that is just out of control and, and is going to bring the nation down. And we don't need to detain ourselves too much about uh, exploding birds, but it's essentially the whole theory is that concave mirrors that are used in solar plants and magnifying the sun are being 
uh, are responsible for targeting birds who fly by and they explode when they come into contact with the reflected solar energy. It's a, it's quite interesting. Is he being mentored by Chuck Grassley and that's why he cares about birds so much? He, I don't think, I think the reputable uh, inside the ba- inside the Beltway information is that he and Chuck Grassley are very different Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Grassley is the Mike Tyson of the Senate. I guess you can say that. And he loves pigeons. He he just loves pigeons so much. So that's not really the most important part of this article. Is that okay? He's worried about the birds. He does not like the recent Senate. Uh, bipartisan infrastructure package that had passed which would uh, reportedly create 73 billion dollars in clean energy investments he is uh, uh, very critical of that but he has also been responsible for some weird things regarding climate change and just some frankly bizarre takes about the whole thing so you know either climate change is a hoax or it's just this whole conspiracy by the democratic party to institute socialism all sorts of other fun stuff but my personal favorite was uh in june of this year he asked a forest service official mind you someone in the forest service if the agency could relocate the orbits of the moon and the earth to prevent solar storm activity so that's a space force question so let me. So I'm just saying that you know, transitioning to clean energy is just out of the question. But we can solve t- climate change by changing the orbit of the Earth and the Moon. Honestly, Let's get onto that right now. He's he's kind of thinking a little too far out, as it were. When really we just need to be setting volcanoes off, like another mid 1800s Krakatoa. We could we could. Uh, wasn't there? There's was a film which was like. Krakatoa uh, east of Java, but actually Krakatoa is west of Java. <laughs> oh man! So it depends which way you're heading. I guess it does depend which way you're heading. That's that's Louis Gomer. Uh, oh, Connor, have you heard about the Great Dumpling Wars of August 2021? I have not heard of the Great Dumpling Wars. No. Okay, oh. so there was a. Uh, cook called uh pippa i guess pippa middlehurst is her name who released a book called dumplings and noodles and uh, you know pippa middlehurst she is um i believe she studied in china for a little bit she uh understood uh the culture of making you know, dumplings and noodles and so she decided to publish this book she's white of course but this provoked, provoked a backlash through a, a Twitter account of, quote, why did a white woman write a cookbook about dumplings and noodles, completely ignoring the fact that this woman had credentials in writing about Asian cuisine and Asian culture. And then it resulted in this whole thing about, uh, <laughs> okay, people said there was some backlash to the backlash. And then the original poster was complaining about all of the uh, harassment she received from being pointed out about the fact that, hey, you made fun of this woman when the fact that she's had, she has this expertise and now she's 
saying that people need to pay her medical bills for all of the trauma and therapy that she needs to receive from all the people who were criticizing her. It's, um... I wonder how that worked out. I don't know, but... but you How know, much do you get for saying that white people, notably Italians and Polish, don't have dumplings and noodles? <laughs> I don't know, but you will never guess which book jumped to the bestseller list. Dumplings and noodles. Hell yeah, it did. So Pippa Middlehurst, I think she she wrote back. She had a she had a rather gracious response, uh, talking about you know her qualifications, her credentials. Uh, she didn't attack the poster directly. I mean, but she was talking about how this you know i had this background expertise i wish people wouldn't criticize her so criticize this person so strongly you know again very gracious response and then the original poster decided to again rather than cut just take the l decided to go and rip into her one more time and then again i didn't know that made this whole thing about oh i'm so traumatized by this experience uh so that's it's great but I think always she, just take the L. Just always take the L. Always take the L. You're telling me I could have spent my monthly book budget on dumplings and noodles instead of post-colonial astrology? Well, dumplings and noodles was thirty five ninety nine. It's twenty four fifty now. Oh, really? Uh huh. Awesome. Hardcover. That is great. You're welcome, folks. Go get it. Use promo code Goodfaith for zero dollars <laughs> off. <laughs> Oh man, uh, let's see. So, how familiar are you two about the <laughs> My Pillow uh, v- virtual conference that Mike Lindell hosted this past month? Mike Lindell had too much caffeine and stayed up, kind of, sort of, for three days, shouting about um, blaming everything on the deep state, like, oh, they're. All their tech stopped working really well. They couldn't have people call in because whatever system they're using went to hell. And he's like, it's the CIA. For clarity, it was not caffeine that he, Mike Lindell had too much of. Oh. He's off the wagon, huh? Oh. He, he was never not on the wagon. <laughs> Mike Lindell's an interesting character. He, Because I, I, I think most people before 2020 were... were didn't know what my pillow was, but if you had listened to either podcasts or radio at some he, point, you may have he heard was of kind it. Of, he was kind of a like a somewhat well-known figure. Like I knew who the my pillow guy was. He's like, hey, I got my pillow. It's great. Yeah, I got I love my it. Pillow. You can love it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a more successful Chuck Testa. <laughs> Uh, so he held this cyber symposium, I believe, wasn't it in, it wasn't it in one of the Dakotas? Cause that was the only place. North where Dakota. Were, it was North Dakota. That's where it was. Yeah. And where it was a three day symposium. And I still love this quote about Mike Lindell is upset that some people want to break for lunch in his cyber symposium, yelling, he's going to stay up on stage for three days straight. I don't know if they actually lived up to that. Okay. Oh, needless to say, Lindell walked off the stage a few minutes later. He he of course went to bed because he said he was assaulted outside at the Taco Bell that was near his hotel he was staying at. Oh. He, he blamed it it on Antifa and some plucky internet sleuths filed Freedom of Information Act requests 
on the incident reports and nothing came back. So oh, did man. it happen? Mm-hmm. Probably not. That's a lot. I mean, when... I mean, Taco my Bell's p- a safe space. You should be able to go there no matter who you are and get what you want and leave. Yes. It's true. Now, if he went to a Waffle House, then he probably was in some sort of danger. <laughs> Man, that's that's way too much. That that was that was also a thing. It also happened, I think, during his cyber conference, wasn't it? Also, when Dominion name uh, added him to the lawsuit that had, or Dominion, they Dominion announced they were suing him. The voting machine. No, Dominion had a ruling from a judge that said that the defamation lawsuit could go forward. Ah, that's what it was. Which again is one point three billion per defense. It's a lot of money. It's it's it makes Jacob Wall's fine look like pocket change. It seriously does. Although, and again, uh, for listeners of the podcast, because uh, I can't remember, defamation and libel suits in the U.S. are actually really hard to prove. Uh, they, there, we have ridiculously high standards against defamation and libel in the U.S. So if there's, if judges are granting motions for this thing to go forward, it seems like Dominion has a relatively serious case. Yeah, so the issue, especially when it's like public figure or something like that, like the standard is actual malice. So you have to prove that they, like, so you would have to prove that Mike Lindell knew what he was saying was false, which I also do not envy Dominion's lawyers for having to prove Mike Lindell's state of mind because I don't think Mike Lindell knows what his state of mind is but like that was it was the same day like to to what Morgan said like it was they're suing Mike Lindell I think that was also the day that the Newsmax um, lawsuit came out as well so like they're suing Newsmax as well so it's Dominion these enti- this entire election grift they're in for some real big trouble well, the Kraken lawyers got formally reprimanded by a judge in Michigan this... Oh, they got sanctioned to shit. Yeah. That was like a week and a half ago, if that... Which is just phenomenal. And uh, apparently, upon being informed at his, you know, his wonderful symposium, he said, as soon as I leave here, I'm calling up Alan Dershowitz. He will be on the phone tomorrow and will tell you this judge's decision is terrible. Oh, Alan, Alan, Alan. Oh, man. Uh, the guy that gave the sweetheart deal to Jeffrey Epstein. There you go. Yep. So, let's see. Um, Wasn't Dershowitz on OJ's team? I, yeah. yeah. He consulted. I don't think he was lead He was lead counsel, but he consulted. Yeah. Uh, what a career. Oh, quite a, <laughs> quite a wide career. So what are we going to end on, Carl? Is it going to be Looney Tune tweets, or is it going to be the California professor turned professional arsonist? I feel like we can. I feel like we can end on either. Which one do you feel like ending on? I kind of like the arsonist professor. Do you want to end on the arsonist professor? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we need to talk about the Looney Tune tweet because this goes back to one of our favorite grifters, Candace Owens, rocking it this month. Not only talking about the Taliban. <laughs> talking about all the other crazy things like hey did you know that there is a muppet babies tv show right with the muppets and there was an episode where i guess you can say that one of the muppets 
uh, which one is it? Gonzo. Gonzo went to a dress-up ball as a princess, and it sort of like has a little Cinderella story type element to it, where a shoe was left behind, and then everyone's trying to figure out who it was. It's actually Gonzo. Well, Candace Owens was not happy about this, mind you. Not happy about this one bit. She couldn't even believe she was tweeting this. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. Morgan, please go ahead with this tweet. (sighs) Candace writes, I can't believe I'm tweeting this, but they are pushing the trans agenda on children via Muppet Babies. This is sick and perverted! Everyone should be disturbed by predatory cartoons meant to usher children into gender dysphoria. Bring back manly puppets. Anyone? Mm. First, manly puppets. Which ones are they? Uh, Two, a very good point brought up by somebody is that Bugs Bunny used to dress in drag and hit Elmer Fudd with straight up wreck me daddy eyes. (laughs) (laughs) This, This sort of Gonzo puts on a crystal slipper and and transforms into a, a Gonzarella. <laughs> it's actually I, I like the pun of the name. It's it's a pun of a name, but it's a take on a classic story. This isn't anything out of the ordinary for cartoons, especially ones that children watch. Oh, jeez, that's that. So that also happened this month. Just in case you were weren't sufficiently injured by Candace Owens before. Mind you that she's on the front lines with this. So she tra- just can't stop. She just can't just stop. Oh, God damn it. All right. So Morgan, we got to wrap up with this because this, yes, this, this is a wonderful story. From NPR, quote, a former college professor is accused of serial arson and denied bail in California. This is from is NPR. It, did Ted Kaczynski get out? Uh, no. It's interesting twist. Firefighters battling the Dixie Fire. So there was a huge fire in California this month. I don't know if it's still going on. Um, But uh, firefighters battling the Dixie Fire have also been facing a second enemy, a serial arsonist who went on a spree of setting fires in July and August of 2021. And who also sought to trap fire crews with his fires, according to agents from the U.S. Forest Service. Jesus. They allege former college professor Gary Maynard is the culprit, citing the tracking of his movements and other evidence. Where Maynard went, fire started, not just once, but over and over again, the government said in a court memorandum. Uh, Let's see, his next court appearance is scheduled August 24th, so I I will need to look that up to see if anything happened. Uh, He's connected to more than half a dozen dangerous fires in Northern California and is currently charged with starting a ranch fire that broke out um, in, in a remote area where Maynard had been camping for the night. So there's a strong... They already had some pretty strong evidence. What was he a professor of? Oh, you're going to love this. Yeah? Gary Maynard, criminal justice professor. Ooh. Hell yeah. <laughs> Is he going to act as his own lawyer? Oh, I hope so. Just been setting fires in the Lassen National Forest and Sh- and uh, Shasta Trinity National Forest. Uh, fire, which, so he was responsible for helping start fires, which, quote, uh, required the deployment and efforts of over 5,000 personnel. Which Jeez. is just like, holy moly. And this has been a, another particularly uh, very dry, hot 
fire season in California. Yes. <laughs> on July 20th, Maynard was stopped by authorities after a group of mountain bikers reported a fire in the Shasta Trinity National Forest. U.S. Forest Service investigator Brian Murphy found Maynard underneath his black Kia Soul, which if you've ever seen this, is basically a cube. As the car's front wheels were lodged into a ditch, Murphy introduced himself and requested the man's name. The man did not come out from under the vehicle and did not identify himself, but instead stayed under the vehicle and mumbled words that could not be understood. As Murphy attempted to ask Maynard questions about the fire, Maynard stated he didn't know anything about any fires. (laughs) So uh, they were able to track him by his cell phone, and apparently he faces up to five years in prison and a uh, $250,000 fine, which... Holy mackerel. At least he didn't violate the KKK Act of 1871. It's true. I, he he did not. He did he at least he didn't set fires in the resemblance and like and spelled out KKK as he was doing it. Cuz that would have been pretty bad. But yes, a criminal justice professor is a serial arsonist. That that's part of an so arsonic spree <laughs> we have paper about truthfulness full of lies we have a criminal justice professor setting doing the arson we have deworming medicine making doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do for your covid outcomes what a topsy-turvy month i will say that august is a, is a month of contradictions And that it's almost over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so I guess the only thing left to do is, Connor, thank you so much for joining us this month. This has been highly entertaining. It's been a pleasure. I won't have to drink too much after this, so I appreciate that. Superb. Just why can't anybody fucking be normal on this website? Jesus Christ, why can't any of you people be normal? Why is it like this? All the time here on Twitch and Twitter, it's always just some goddamn communist and somebody comes in and says, well, actually, you know, slavery wasn't that bad. God, just be normal. Please, be normal. Be one of these normal people you're going to deal with in in everyday life who isn't out here just kind of just trying to refight the Eastern Front. My God.